From the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we are at the lake or the Sea of Galilee for our purposes, getting into the story of one of Jesus' appearances to his disciples. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back when we were on Easter morning and we, we looked at Jesus' first appearance, his appearance to the women who were coming to his grave to attend to his body, then you might remember that one of the things he says to the women in that context is that they are to go and tell the disciples that he's raised from the dead and that they're to tell the disciples to head up to Galilee because he's going to go ahead of them into Galilee and that they are to wait for him there. And yet, in the next unfolding hours, Jesus appears to two of his disciples who are leaving the Passover celebrations in Jerusalem and heading back home to Emmaus. And they turn around to tell the disciples what they experienced. And yet, as they get there, they find out that Simon Peter himself has encountered the resurrected Lord. And then as they're discussing and talking about that last week, we saw that Jesus appears in the midst of them. We see from another account in one of the other Gospels that Thomas wasn't there in that initial appearing with the, in the room with the other disciples, but then later in a setting where Thomas was there and expressing doubt and expressing that if unless he feels Jesus' hands and feet, that he's not going to believe it. And Jesus comes and shows up and Jesus allows for Thomas to touch his hands and to touch his feet so that he can believe that Jesus really has resurrected, brought the end times resurrection that they had been hoping for into the middle of time to show us the hope that we have and that we can cling to in the promises of God. And so in the midst of all these other appearances, what happened to the command for them to head back to the Sea of Galilee? 
Well, eventually the disciples do obey this command. And so we see in this story this morning that they are back at the Sea of Galilee. And they're just sitting around, they're waiting for Jesus to appear to them again. And, and one of the things that is kind of frustrating about the way the gospel writers wrote these accounts from our modern perspective is that they don't give us a time frame between when these appearances happen. We know that they happen from Easter Sunday through Pentecost because of the way that the story is laid out, but that's 50 days. So we don't know if it's just days between each of these encounters or if it's weeks or if there's gaps of, of even longer time, we don't know. And so in this moment, as the disciples are sitting around and they're waiting, I, I think that we begin to get a hint that they're kind of antsy, that they're filled with this anxiety, this anxiousness to get going or to do something. Now, you've probably experienced this before, because I know I've experienced this before, that in the midst of waiting on something to happen, uh, in the midst of not being really in control of the timeline of your life, uh, an anxiousness arises, an antsiness that makes you just want to exert some kind of control to get back to something that you feel familiar and comfortable with so that you can get rid of that anxious feeling. And I think this is what we see in the disciples as they're there and as they are waiting for Jesus in Galilee. And this is something about waiting that I think God has an intention behind. I did a whole reflection series for my daily reflections a couple weeks back on waiting. You can go back to pastorchristhomas.com and you can watch those or you can listen to those. And you can begin to reflect a little bit with me on what God's call in our lives for waiting is. But I think that God essentially puts us in situations where we have to wait, not only because God knows the ultimate timing of all things, and God has a perfect timing for when things need to happen in order for the, His will to be done here on earth, but I also think that it puts us in this position where we have to learn how to surrender our will and how to give up of ourselves and our control and our desires over to the desires of God and to trust in God's will for our lives and to wait eagerly for God to act in our lives. And so I think that it's in the midst of struggling with this that the disciples as they're sitting around say, you know what, let's go fishing. Now I gotta say something about fishing here because when we say this in our modern day ears, we're thinking more of like grabbing a rod and a pole and heading out to a beautiful place like this. And in fact, earlier in the service, you might've seen the guys on kayaks here fishing on the lake. And so it could be a relaxing thing to just go out and sit on the lake, cast your rod and reel into the, you know, your bait into and into the water and sit there and fish. But that's not what these guys were doing. These guys were going out as commercial fishermen to catch fish so that they could sell it in the marketplace. So there's some serious significance to their decision and their choice to go fishing. It isn't just an on the whim, let's go do something relaxing, let's just get our mind off of things. No, this is showing that maybe their anxiety and their antsiness over waiting on the risen Lord to appear to them and give them some direction was beginning to get to them. You see, these guys had been raised as commercial fishermen. They grew up fishing in their father's boats and learning the trade, the craft, so that they could provide one day for their family and for their parents as their parents became too old to do the craft for themselves. And so these guys grew up doing this commercial fishing. 
They grew up knowing what it meant to create uh, or to gain uh, some kind of a product out of the water so that they could sell it and then provide for their families. This is what they were felt most comfortable doing. This is where they felt most in control was in their boats with their nets catching fish so that they could sell it in the market and provide for their families. If you think a little bit more about this you could probably muscle out that while they were following Jesus around as disciples there were some generous donors that we saw throughout the Gospels giving money to be able to make them afford be able to afford food and afford the things that they were doing places to stay whatever else all their supplies but here after Jesus died and so shortly after Jesus raised from the dead and especially before they had given, been given any direction about where they were to go and what they were to do, you can imagine that maybe some of those sources of funding had dried up or that they didn't even feel comfortable taking that money because they didn't know what they were doing yet. And so this decision to go fishing might not have just been an antiness to exert control of desire to return to a feeling of comfort in the thing that they know best, but it also might have been driven out of a need for them to provide for their families. All of these things come together and we can have some great sympathy for it because I think each one of us has been called by God to wait on God at some point during our lives. And we can see how hard and difficult this task is, especially when there's these other external pressures on us, like being able to provide for our family. And so Peter one day says, let's go fishing. And he goes out onto the, the lake and like he's done hundreds of times before, and he takes James and John and probably Andrew and, and a few others are listed here, and they go fishing. But they fish all night long and they don't catch one thing. Now this story immediately makes us remember another gospel story from the Gospel of Luke where very similar circumstances happen. They're out there fishing all night long and they had been having bad luck the entire night. They haven't caught anything and the pressure is on because they, they need these fish in order to provide for their family just as now they have this pressure to exert control to have comfort and feeling like they're knowing what they're doing and also to provide financial means for their family. And yet, all night, not one fish. And just like in the story in the Gospel of Luke from early on when Jesus calls the 12 in the first place, when he approaches these fishermen and he calls them, he, he first shows up on the shore and he yells at them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. Now, you got to know something about fishing in those days to realize how ridiculous this is. They would fish with these big nets that were weighted and were meant to kind of go down and to just trap fish and then entangle the fish as they brought the nets back up that were above the nets. And basically, as they pulled these nets up and they had the fish entangled, they would then release the fish and throw them into a vessel with water to keep them fresh. And so their goal here as they're fishing is to cast a wide net and capture as many fish as were down there feeding or in schools inside the lake. And so it's kind of a silly idea with that kind of fishing to just move to the other side of the boat. I mean, these aren't like 500 foot boats or anything like that. They're fairly small boats. And so moving to the other side and casting the net down on that side isn't going to provide particularly that much more success. And you can also guess that they probably tried both sides of the boat throughout the night. And yet in Luke, 
when we see this story early on, when they have this, this person calling to them, giving them this ridiculous idea from the shore, they kind of decide to just try it. And they throw the, the net on the other side and they have this huge catch of fish. And when they come to the shore, Jesus then tells them that he's gonna make them into fishers of men and that he's calling them to follow him. And they, after having witnessed this incredible miracle where all night long they tried all kinds of locations and they caught no fish. And then all of a sudden from the calling out of this man from the shore, they cast on the other side and they get a multitude of fish. So this is a callback to that story. And Jesus is reminding them of their calling in his resurrection that he's having them wait on. He's reminding them that they're no longer going to be in a place where they're in control and where they have their comfort zone, but that he has called them to a new mission, a new vision, one in which they are to be fishers of men and not fishers of fish. And so Jesus appears on the shore in the early morning and he calls out to them. Remember, at the beginning of every one of these appearances, they don't know who he is. And so they don't see him for who he is on the shore. He's a far distance away. And so they just hear this man call out and say, throw your net on the other side. You know, and maybe in their minds, they remembered what Jesus had done the first time they really encountered him as their teacher, as their rabbi. And so maybe out of reflexiveness, they just decided we're going to throw the nets on the other side because Jesus did this once before. And then when they haul the nets in, it's the biggest catch they've ever had. And that threatens even pulling the boat down into the water. And Peter, upon seeing this, immediately has confirmed in his heart that it's the Lord. And finally, the Lord has returned. And it maybe even feels a little silly that he went out and fished in the first place. But he puts his robes back on. He had stripped for the hard work he was doing in the boat. But he puts his robes back on and he jumps into the water which gives us another image from Matthew when Jesus is called out by Jesus onto the water, or when Peter is called out by Jesus onto the water and Peter walks on the waves with Jesus for a brief moment before he loses faith. And so in this way, G Peter doesn't even need to know to walk on water. He just runs out there into the water and his eagerness is to be with his Lord. And so he swims to the shore. Now you kind of get a little bit of an image here in the scriptures that Peter doesn't even really beat the boats to shore, that his exuberance to jump into the water and to go and be with his Lord, that the others who stay in the boats and row kind of get there just as fast or maybe even faster than him. But when they get to the shore, the funny thing is, is that Jesus already has fish. Jesus already has fish and he's cooked it and he's prepared it for a meal with his disciples. This is a, an interesting concept because we see Jesus earlier in the gospels telling his disciples that he has food that they don't know about and that the food that is nourishing him is to do the will of his Father. And so here's a physical manifestation of Jesus having food that they don't know about, that he is producing and actually feeding them in some way or another. It also brings back memories of the loaves and fishes where Jesus seems to multiply just a small amount of food into enough to feed thousands in a couple different instances. So this, all these callbacks are happening in this story and it's a way of Jesus affirming, affirming and reminding his disciples of his calling on them and their life. That they're to trust in him, that they are to surrender to him and they are to do his will. 
And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus begins to talk to Peter. And Jesus asks Peter if, if Peter really loves him. Jesus says, or Peter says back to Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus responds back, well then tend my sheep. And he does this three times. And there is some significance in the language here that I'm not going to go into, but you can go back and listen to my sermon from John chapter 21, from when I preached through John, I think two years ago, three years ago. And you can look and you can see the, the, what the significance of the words that are being used here in the Greek. But essentially, Jesus is calling into question Peter's real change of his heart and his, his willingness to surrender to the authority of Jesus and to trust Jesus implicitly. And Peter shows the humility in his heart by responding with a humble response and continually referring to Jesus' own knowledge and not his own ideas are his own thing. He's showing that he recognizes Jesus as a Lord beyond his own capacity and that he is going to rely on Jesus from this day out. And then Jesus tells him, follow me. Jesus turns around at this moment and he's going to walk away. Probably he's going to just disappear. But Peter takes his statement literally not as a metaphor for the same exact thing Jesus did three years ago when Jesus called him from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. Instead, Jesus is meaning this as a metaphor, as a callback to that calling that Jesus gave to Peter and the other 12 three years ago. And Peter sees it as a literal thing, so he begins to follow. And at the same time, another disciple begins to follow and they have an exchange. And we could preach on that at some other point. But the essence here, the essence of this story for this morning as we reflect on it, is that the disciples seemed to kind of lose their way. That even after having experienced the resurrected Lord not that long ago, as they sat and they waited, they found the waiting so untenable that they began to lose a little bit of their trust and their faith in the promise of Jesus to show back up to them. And they decided to re-exert the control in their life and go back and just do what they knew best and go back to their comfort zone. And Jesus shows up in the midst of that after frustrating their ways. And Jesus shows them that he hasn't given up on them and that he hasn't reneged on his call and vocation that he is giving them to be fishers of men. And so he reasserts his call. He reasserts Peter into his position as kind of the lead of the disciples. And he reasserts the, the call for them to follow him. Now, not in a physical way, walking around the Sea of Galilee and into Judea and all of those things, but instead to follow the leading, the guiding of the Holy Spirit as they attempt to do the mission that God has given to them in Jesus into the future. That same call lies on us today as Jesus' disciples. We have the call to leave whatever vocation that we think we have for ourselves and to follow after the vocation of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you quit your job per se, but it means that you might do your job differently or view your job differently. And it doesn't mean that we need to start working in vocational ministry if we're retired and we have time on our hands. No, it means that in, in our retirement and in the things that we're doing, we're constantly seeking the will of the Spirit in our lives and to follow after what the Spirit is calling us to do. This takes incredible patience. This takes incredible trust. This takes incredible knowledge and closeness 
to the Lord. And so these things are the things we are called to be as the church, to surrender ourselves, silent ourselves before God, to wait on God and Jesus Christ, and to trust in God's promises and God's call for us as a church, as individuals, to do what God is preparing and planning and laying out ahead of us for the building of his kingdom. We can see the story as it unfolds with the disciples and see that they go on to do incredible things. And I believe that we can go on to do incredible things if we would but surrender and trust in that same way and follow after the call of Jesus and the Holy Spirit amongst us. Amen. Friends, thanks so much for coming and worshiping with us this morning. I hope to see you tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, in the chance that we get over a hundred of you, um, then some of you might not be able to make it onto the call and I'll deeply apologize for that. So try and get on early in the call as you can to assure that you got a space there. But now as we leave worship together, as we enter back into our homes and into our lives that, that we are waiting for to get back to normal, continue to surrender to the Lord. Continue to seek the Spirit in your life on a daily basis. Use this time and the extra time that you might have. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But use this time in a way to seek the Lord, to connect with the Lord, to encounter the Lord through His Spirit so that you might know what God is calling you to do and to be into the future for His kingdom. Now go and, and be the body of Jesus Christ who raised from the dead so that he might become victorious over sin and death, so that he might give power to his body, the church, to be change makers in the world in the days right after his resurrection and even 2,000 years later and into the future beyond what we can even see. Jesus has gifted you and us to do his will. Follow him. Amen.